Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Angie, Estimate Rocket, and Paint Supply. Hey, everybody. It is Jim Johnson here, your host on Contractor Radio and the head coach at Contractor Coach Pro, where we help contractors get control of their business so they can grow their business and hopefully find that personal and financial freedom they were searching for when they started their business. It's been awesome. We've been doing this for the last 10 years. And uh, the, the stories that we are able to have now after 10 years of coaching have been pretty awesome. Uh, this uh, podcast that I'm doing today is part of our contractor summer series. And uh, I've got a pretty awesome guest today. Uh, I've been following this guy for quite a while, I'm kind of stalking him. He didn't even know really. But uh, I noticed that he had a huge presence on social media. That's where I saw him first. And not only was his social media like everywhere, it was really good. Uh, he comes from the painting world. His name is Nick Slavic, and he is with Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration. He is the founder, CEO, and all things management, leadership, and everything else with uh, his company. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, man, it's an honor. It really is. I, I, you are like in that painting world, um, you're kind of the guy. I, you see you more than I see anybody else out there. Maybe there's somebody I've missed, but uh, you've been uber consistent. Um, you actually have this thing called Ask a Painter Live. You've been doing that for, you said, seven years. That's pretty consistent. Um, and so I'm going to ask you about some of that here in just a minute. You also recently were... Um, Voted in, I believe, as the chairman of the board for uh, PCA, Painters Contractors yep. Association. That's that's kind of a big deal. You guys, you know, that's no joke. You guys have been around a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, for our audience, those guys listening and watching on YouTube, can you kind of give us a little bit of the background? Like, how did you get started in this? Were you always a painter? And uh, how did you turn it into this, like, everybody knows Nick Slavic thing? Mm, yeah. Well, it does pay to be a loudmouth, a consistent loudmouth on the internet, right? So, um, so I got I got forced into this trade when I was ten years old by my dad. My dad was a house painter, and he got the whole family involved—mom, brother, me, and everything. So, from ten to eighteen, kind of indentured servitude with the family business. Uh, eighteen to twenty-two, as you do. Eighteen to twenty-two, I escaped and went to the army, uh, active duty service for a few years. Uh, came out, used my GI Bill to get a college education, got a bachelor's degree in business with a double minor and two forms of accounting, uh, went to reform uh, and rejoined the family business. And there was no place for me there. Uh, father just didn't didn't have a place for me. So I started my own business. And uh, this is now the 15th anniversary of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. And like you said, I've been, uh, I've been a loudmouth on the internet for a lot of years. I've been posting pretty consistently for over a decade. And I've been the host uh, and creator of the Ask a Painter live show, which is going on weekly now for seven years. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. I, I, there weren't a lot of people <laughs> posting and doing that kind of stuff 10 years ago. That was still kind of brand new. What, what was the impetus behind that? Like, how did you know that was going to be a thing or did you? 
Oh yeah. Well, you're assuming I had this great foresight and stuff. And just like anything else, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to start a painting business because I will be on the forefront of that. And the trades are the wild west and I'll be there at the, now I just, I was always going to be a painter. Uh, I'm a servant leader. I like to share. I like to uh, collaborate with other people. So social media was just an outlet for a introverted, passive aggressive guy from Minnesota to share all these wonderful things I see on job sites. You know, I would share all these little bits of houses that nobody else really sees or takes for granted, but are very important to me. Fine craftsmanship, something unique. And it just spoke to a bunch of other weirdos like me out there who are kind of uh, share the same values. So yeah, it's been there's no foresight into anything. I just do that stuff. And it turned out to be a good strategy. Yeah. It's worked out quite well for you. Um, I I first noticed you, you were painting, I I think it was like this three story house and it had all kinds of intricate work on it and stuff like that. It was a long time ago. I don't even know if you remember, but you were, you were so into the details and I went, yeah, does anybody watch that? Like, is that, was that interesting to them? And then I kind of thought about my own world, you know, roofing and doing that stuff. And like, who's going to pay attention to that? But we all kind of have our voice, right? And that voice attracts a certain group of people. Have have you found that to be true with uh, what you do? Like, did you have people start reaching out to you? It does. Yeah. So um, I, I have been called a lighthouse. I've been called a dog whistle uh, to a certain, very, very niche, uh, part of, uh, of, of sort of like the populace of the United States of and it's, it, it's like you said, it's not just painters and roofers and other things. Like I literally will go down a rabbit hole watching the best carpenters in the United States flash a rough opening in preparation for a window. Cause there is an art and watching any human do anything good, especially when it involves architecture is so deeply satisfying to me. It's just, and and I understand now why some people watch some of my videos. <laughs> yeah, the ones that get me are the woodworking ones. The guys that do the woodwork. I mean, I can get lost in that all day long. And I don't even do that stuff myself. I just have an appreciation for mastery, I think is really what it comes down to. That's the best way to put it, appreciation for mastery. I appreciate people who are really freaking good at what they do. And that is, yeah, that's humbling. So, um there's a, there's a painting aspect to what you do, but there's also this restoration side. Do you, do you get a lot of those special kind of projects to, to work on? Yes. So uh, when I, you know, I left my own family business. So in a town of 7,000 people, there were two Slavic painting companies in town. So <laughs> my way of differentiating was not only service, but on the outset, uh, putting the word restoration in my name. Because for anybody who loves historic homes, restoration is it is a dog whistle word. It signifies something deep and meaningful to people who understand that that's deep and meaningful. So it does bring out, you know, I, uh, when I formed my company, I created my logo using fonts from the local newspaper from the 1800s. So I did some research into that. I found things I liked. I saw how the ads were made, the fonts were used and the colors and things like that. And then that's what I formed the company on. So if you're not into old houses, you think, oh, that's kind of a nice logo. If you're into old houses, you're like, that is my dude right there. He knows something, <laughs> he knows something that I know, and there's not many of us that know that. <laughs> now, now, was that just like it made sense to you, or was it something that you had learned like, hey, to attract the type of client I want, I need to go this route? Was that How did that work out? Yeah, great. It, it's so flattering that you think there's any foresight into this. It was just, I, this is what I love. And, and I think part of the reason that my social media does connect with people and stuff is that 
literally my logo, my company, my social media, my company is just a reflection of me and what I like. It is not, it is not one of those things like, listen, my passion is fly fishing, but I'm going to get into chimney building because it's lucrative and that it's like, you can only do what I do in certain ways when you love it this much. It, it, it gives you that drive to be consistent and do it. Nobody's broadcasted live for seven years weekly without missing a week if you don't love it. That is the chore of all chores if you do not like this. <laughs> so, so why do you love it so much? Yeah, good question. I think, um, so it's a deep thought I have or what I consider a deep thought, which is my father was a house painter and I magically turned out to be a house painter. So what I don't think is that I surveyed every profession out there. I did everything. And magically, by kismet, my father was a house painter and I was a house painter. Like, wow, what are the chances of that? I just got in. I understand that people can have lots of passions. Finding your passion and exploiting it and staying with it for a very long time makes you an outlier. I was very lucky that I probably could have had a deep passion for 1,500 things. Turns out that I was introduced to one at age 10 that scratched all the itches and I loved it. And uh, that was it. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I always tell myself, don't, don't do the grass as I was greener. What if I could have been a wildlife biologist? What if I could have been that woodworker? It's like, no, I, I truly get up every day with a passion for this. I love it. I'm not taking that for granted. And I will be interested in other things, but I'm not changing what I do. I love this. That is awesome. That is, see why I wanted to interview you? Like, this is why we do what we do. And I'm sitting here going, gosh, man, maybe I should quit doing this and go get after fly fishing because I'm pretty passionate about it. Well, it's funny because um, I, I think that's, first off, you, a little lucky, right? Like, that just happened to be the lucky, thing, yeah. right? And it, and it really did scratch all those itches. Because mm -hmm. some of us out there, we don't, we don't have that. I got really lucky uh, myself uh, 10 years ago in an unfortunate situation. My grandfather um, well, was, you know, the end of time and I got to spend the last three months with him mm -hmm. and he felt it was important for him to impart to me who I really was. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he threw a, quite a few questions. What I came to realize is the thing I'm passionate about is actually coaching. Yeah. It's, it's not roofing and it's not painting. It's not being a contractor. It's not any of those things. It's, it's coaching other people to install fundamentals, build on those skills, master them, apply a strategy and win. Like that's what I do. And I, I would do it for nothing and I would do it for pay. I've coached everything from little bitty kids to college age and sports, uh, leadership, sales, like all kinds of things. And uh, it took somebody like helping me to understand really who I was. And this is the longest I've ever done anything. Wow. And, and so many of us, I think, travel through life looking for that thing, that passion thing. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions on how people might be able to find that? Yes. Um, so I, I famously do not read many business books, right? It's like <laughs> I, I pick a book and I read it multiple times and I actually do stuff from it. So really I take about a two or three year arc on every book I read. Grit was the last book I read by Angela Duckworth and her whole treatise, and she's a social scientist. So this isn't a woo woo book. This is like science and data and which I'm a big fan of. And basically her thesis was you need to expose yourself rapidly to as many passions as you can. The second you find something that you like, you exploit it. And then you do intentional practice, which is you do it over and over and over again with feedback and you intentionally give yourself reach goals. And then when you find something you like and you can improve on and that 
it increases your passion, then you stick with it a long time. And that's how you come up with an outlier. So um, my, my strategy for my kids is to expose them to as many passions as possible, because I don't know, it might be painting, uh, but it might be guitar. So we're also doing that. So rapid cycling through passions. And the second that you like something, you have to do the intentional practice part. If you just I think her thesis was too that what I took away was if you wait around for lightning to strike you with your passion, you're doing it wrong. You need to get out there every day and just go wild and try stuff. Yeah, that explains a lot about me. Like um, everything I've ever done, like I'm, I'm uber passionate about it. My wife will actually comment on it. There's either all or nothing for me. Oh, yeah, yep. Once I decide I'm going to do something, I'm all in. My problem has been that um, while it was a passion at that point, once I kind of mastered it and had proven whatever I needed to prove in it, um, I lost interest. It was like, ah. like for, for example, with sales for me, I was still improving on that thing and getting yeah. you know little bits here. But at a point in my life for 15 of the, my years, it was like 100% all I did. 100% focus. I mean, time I wake up till I go to bed, studying, reading, practicing, and perfecting and mastering to be the best at what I, what I did. And, and that then translated into the next thing, like teaching people how to sell. Mm -hmm. And then translated into the next thing, which offered me some leadership opportunity, which I got really passionate about and like dug into that for many years and started teaching people about that. And that seems to be my pattern. Like I, I try to go gain yeah. these, these passions and these skills and then try to help impart them to others in a way they can do it faster. And so that's the whole coaching thing, right? So um, I, I just took too long. <laughs> Maybe that was the thing. I took too long. At I hear you. It's like a four or five year cycle. And then I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm bored with this. We accomplished everything <laughs> we said we were going to do. All right, what's the next thing? Um, and, and so you've never gone through anything like that. You've always been passionate about this thing. Well, so, uh, as, as I, as you talk about that, you know, I, I sort of think about, I got a second wind in this industry, you know, so this is my 30th year of doing this. And by this time you either become a super outlier or you become jaded or you leave or something else. But about seven or eight years ago, I decided to get super intentional about the business side because I realized the the business that surrounded my beautiful craft was imparting stress that I never had with just the craft. And it was because I was just an unprofessional business owner. Like I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just doing stuff and, and, you know, doing more stuff, more people, more vans, more everything else. And I soon realized that as thoughtful as I was with the craft and the science of coatings, I needed to do that with people and with my business too. So I got this crazy second wind that I'm still riding up the transition curve as I learned to be a manager and a leader. And it's, it's like, I don't want to say reinvigorated because I never want to give people the um, inkling that I lost interest in this. My passion was always high. If I, if I could just paint the rest of my life, I would be perfectly happy until I found out about leadership management and entrepreneurship. And now it's like, now I want to do both. And it's giving me this whole nother set of challenges where with painting, it is solvable, right? It, there is just an end to the questions. You can be curious about new stuff, but the questions just stop everyone. You know, there's not any, any big lanes, unexplored areas, but with leadership and management and, and the inspiration of others, I don't 
feel that ever gets solved. I feel you constantly keep moving through that. And that excites me. Yeah. Same for me. <laughs> so seven years ago, things changed where you went, okay, I, I've kind of perfected the painting part. Like I, I got that down pretty well. Now I want to perfect the business part. And it seems like leadership was the area that you, you went, that's where I'm going to dive in. Or was it all aspects of the business? Yeah. So again, with, with no intention and hopeful optimism, I, I, I grew a business and to a dumb, dumb growing a business is get some more brushes, get some more people, get some more vans and let's rock and roll. Right. And then soon, um, that, that soup that you make the, the gathering and the conglomeration of all those parts creates things for you to deal with as a manager and a leader, the, the interpersonal relationships, the interplay between them and your clients and, and things like that. So then it kind of forced me to be like, Oh, I guess maybe being a business owner, isn't just having a bunch of vans and people, maybe there's a whole bunch of stuff that is like the connective tissue between that all. And I was forced to reckon with all the major hurdles and heroes journeys that business owners go through with that as they just came up in real time in my business. If you, if you had a chance to go back and do it all over again, would you do anything different? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have job costing a standard operating procedure, a job budget, anything for the first one to three years of really aggressively growing the business. It was just cowboy style, right? It was just grab a bunch of stuff, do a bunch of stuff. I'm sure this will all work out just great. Right. <laughs> and so now, I mean, it, it, it gives me shivers to think back before there was a job budget and job costing, but now I would go back and from day one, I would build all that first and then hire my first employee. But that, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, right? <laughs> it's what we're trying to get across to people. We got to get that foundation yeah. down first so that we can then yeah. operate well. Yeah. Uh, that, that's pretty cool that um, you, you followed that path like you and, and actually had the realization of it. Like, man, if I could go back and do that over again, I'd do these things first. So yeah. what are we passionate about today? What, what's, the, what's the big thing that you're working on today? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I feel has unexplored areas and lanes and dark spots is that situational leadership, inspiration, motivators, things like that. And whereas, you know, I have a 22-step standard operating procedure that has been proven over 30 years to paint the walls in a bedroom. And there is nothing quicker. There's nothing better. Highest value for the client, repeatable, scalable, trainable. That's not the same with leadership and management and accountability. Every single, all my humans are bedrooms that we've never encountered before. And we have to create a new SOP. And I'm working through that now to try to figure out, like, I know that people need to be led differently, but how can you apply a standard operating procedure to the different types of people and the different motivators so that I can be more streamlined. So it's not basically every human is a snowflake that, Maybe there's 15 kinds and now we can apply to that. So that's, that's the deep exploration and the thing that excites me now, which is I want to be a better, better leader for them. I owe that to them. And I am breaking myself right now to make sure that I, I just check all those boxes for them. Are you finding any uniformities? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You start, you start finding through lines because I travel the country and I talk to other contractors, right? So you can imagine, I was just in Boston, a group of third generation Irish house painters from Boston are way different than a bunch of upper Midwest, passive aggressive, introverted, quiet sort of people like that. So it's, it's funny that there's, uh, there's numerable 
different types of people and motivators, but we attract pretty similar people from a pretty homogenous area in the upper Midwest. So as far as I can tell, there are the, the thing that I'm slowly coalescing around now is there seems to be a through line through people that are motivated by the approval of others. Sometimes they're within the company, sometimes they're without. And there's some people who are motivated by an internal other, like who are accountable to themselves and they, and, and they would feel really bad if they let themselves down. And then the, the wrinkle on top of that is maybe some people have a proportion of both. And what, what, what lever, what, which motivational lever do you then pull to make sure that they are the most happy and you get the best performance out of them? So that's like, that's the machinations now. <laughs> that, first off, that's real. Um, uh, that's an yeah, yeah. accurate assessment. There's far less of a group B than there is group A. Um, I think most human beings are looking for recognition, um, yeah. acceptance, yeah. Um, community, that type of thing. And, that, and that's, that's their motivating driving force. I literally just got off of a coaching call that uh, a salesperson knew what they were supposed to do. And if they were on their own, just out there doing their thing. It was doing their thing. But the second you incorporated another person across the street, working down the street, uh, doing what they do, the motivation changed. There was this, this thing to shoot for. And so um, I, I think it's actually pretty insightful of you to kind of figure out that there's this internal, like self-driven type of person. And then there's the the person that gets it from more recognition and acceptance and those type of things. Um, has that been your experience? There's far less of one than the other. Yes, uh, it's really interesting that my 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 people are breaking down into teams like that, even by job position, which is really interesting to see. And then, like you just mentioned, the next layer of that is you know, in the, in the human soup that we're creating in this business, all the parts are delicious on their own. And when you, when you put some of them together, they don't go, they're not bad, but they're different. And then you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Didn't see that coming. And like you said, things change the squishy, soft, irrational parts of us, uh, the motivators, the, the happiness, the, the things like that change based on the combination of humans you put together, which is, and, and some of that combination makes it, it's like a one plus one equals three, you know, which is cool too, but it's just so interesting. It, I was not prepared for this in college, right? Like this would have been a helpful course. <laughs> and it was not existed. That, yeah. I think the only thing that comes close to it is probably psychology a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I heard you with the two minors in accounting and that kind of stuff. So probably not, not on the track you were on. Right? The opposite of psychology. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, here I am interrupting you again, but this is an important message you do not want to miss because it's about AI, AI in sales. Could you imagine having every sales call recorded, analyzed, tell you what's winning, share it with everybody else so they can start winning? Everybody's closing percentages go through the roof. If you haven't heard of Rilla Voice, you need to. Go check out Rilla today in the comments below. So what are you finding to be the main motivators? Yeah. Um because that's, that's, that's a challenge, right? It's a challenge for everybody. It is. Figuring out what motivates this person that works for them 
uh, because most of the time they're liars. They'll tell you one thing that is what's motivating them. And I think those motivations might change over time. I think when we're younger, motivation might be just financial security. Like, I got to make some money, right? But as we get older and we've made a little money, our our motivators change. And then as we get more experience, would they even change some more? Are you seeing any of that? Yeah. So I think a great example is uh, what I also remind myself all the time is that that is all not static, right? Everybody is one deeply meaningful conversation with a loved one, a grandfather at a very pivotal inflection point in their life away from completely rejiggering all that too. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. Um, The, as far as I can tell right now, I'm going down the decision tree because it it's approval. And then sometimes it's internal and external. And when it's external, is it somebody else within the company? Is it somebody else there? Can you even figure that out? And so now I'm, I'm trying, once we get down to about the fourth level of that decision tree, to me, that becomes a super squishy process where I almost want to say, okay, we need to, we need to go back up and simplify and just address this from, is it the approval of me, the, the owner of the company, or is it the approval internally? And then we start dealing with that and then trying to assign a situational leadership style to that is step two for me, number one, I am on a mission to find motivators for my people. And uh, honestly, I've only, I've only really got intentional with maybe a third of them. And even then I'm kind of only 50, 50 on my assessment. Cause I'm not an expert, right? So, um, I know you said you don't read a lot of books. I, I'm scared to give you one. Uh, have you ever read the book Freakonomics? So listen to the podcast uh, and I've listened to portions of the books, never listened to the full book. So that book is all about incentive, what, what motivates us. And, and we don't do anything. There is nothing that we do that doesn't have an incentive associated with it. And you can break it down real yeah. simply, like just brushing your teeth, right? Like we brush our teeth, so we hope they don't fall out at some point. So yeah. why do we do the things we do? And it's funny how often we apply the wrong incentive thinking we're going to get this result from it. But the human being on the other side yeah. isn't necessarily motivated by the incentive you think they're going to be motivated by. That's what that book is all about. I think you'd love it because you're on this path right now. And uh, that book was a game changer for me 20 years ago about understanding motivation, incentive, and that kind of stuff for, for my people, because you're right. It is vastly different. And they're not looking normally for anything that benefits your business, unless it's a byproduct of what they gain. And so yeah. they're, they're looking for external benefit, whether that be financial growth, uh, knowledge gain, whatever it may be. Uh, maybe there's a fulfillment aspect by giving back and there's all kinds of different folks out there, but tapping in and figuring out what that is, that's a challenge uh, by a long ways. And then to try to apply it broad base across a business uh, are you finding that to be challenging? Yeah, it is the most challenging. And it's the thing where <sighs> it's hard and not many people do it right. Judging by, you know, the average sizes of business in the U.S. where, you know, when you look at the stats, you know, four to eight percent of businesses employ more than 10 people of all businesses in the United States. Some crazy stat like that. So that tells you intrinsically how hard this is. Now, the thing that I I love thinking about that. I know that it's a lifetime's worth of work, but then I also have to do pattern detection and say, 
what kind of head trash and stuff do I bring to this from my upbringing? Because I'm not this objective arbiter of these things. I'm not coming here like a blank slate and taking everything perfectly for facts and that. I'm coming here with 30 years of being in a very regressive trades-based business and things like that when standards are all over the place. So now there's another sort of like asterisk on the end of that, which is now how much of this is my feelings that are coloring this stuff too. And that is, that's where I really start getting lost in the weeds of like nothing sticking out to me. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to keep thinking about it, but boy, this is, you get into the number of variables of that and that's complicated. Well, if you ever figure it out, I can't wait to read the book. Like uh, <laughs> that'll be an awesome <laughs> book at some point. Because uh, it is, it, it, when we deal with humans, like you said, they're not necessarily snowflakes, but they are individuals and everything's different. They all have their own baggage they bring with them, things they bring with them from their childhood. And, 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 and like you said, even for yourself, you bring stuff from your childhood and from your upbringing and your preconceived notions to the table and to mesh those two together is just challenging. What are you finding that's working? Yeah. So, uh, happiness and empathy, um, uh, and circle of trust upfront and honest. It was not the way I was raised in the trades and it took me a lot of years to get over it that, you know what? It's not fair. I was screamed at for a lot of years, do it better, do it faster. And even when I did do it better and faster, there was no attaboy. I mean, I, it took my own father 11 years to tell me good job. And even that I was kind of a surprise, like, Oh, good job one of those things. So <laughs> you noticed it. For, yeah, yeah. And it was like, Oh, that was weird. Did we just have a moment together? This is a, <laughs> it's one of those things. So, um, and so it was actually really hard for me. Again, this is the head trash that I bring into it, which is that's not fair. These young people should suffer too. Just like I suffered. You're like, is that the company <laughs> you want to build? It's like, but again, it's, you're, you're laden with that, which is this, I have this internal scale of justice where it's like, Hey, if it worked for me, that's fine. But this is my passion. So I'm going to stick through it, whether people are screaming at me or not. So empathy and happiness. Um, I had a very important person to me in the company. My production manager, Holly pulled me aside years ago and say, Hey, you know what, when you show up and you're happy on these job sites, production goes up, you should try more of that. And I was like, all right, let's try that. And it does work. It, it, it doesn't feel fair all the time, especially when you're addressing basic kind of accountability stuff, but it's what managers and leaders do. And I just kind of had to come to terms with like, I don't, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say I don't trust it. I do trust the process. It's hard to trust the process. It doesn't always feel fair. It feels like you should just come out and say, stop doing that. You know better, <laughs> but you have to go through this empathetic, happy way of doing it. And honestly, it feels better when I'm done and it's better for my people. So it is a thing I have to force myself to do, to be intentional, just like exercise. But when I'm done, I always feel better. What, what does empathy mean to you? I think trying to see it from their point of view, which is some things are so obvious to me that you would wake up extra early, break yourself to the point of exhaustion and constantly be thinking about the next day, the next week, the next month, the future, your future, the company's future. And nobody else is going to do that. And it doesn't even mean they're bad people. It just means that this isn't their passion. Doesn't mean they're bad people. This isn't their life's work. Doesn't mean they're bad people. They're never going to think about it as much as you. And to hold them to your standard is actually very unempathetic. Like I, back to psychology, one of the things that I readily use in my company is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is, hey, listen, why aren't you interested in the coding signs of a crosslinker and a new 2K uh, poly from Renner 
and and the amazing KMCA standards it can help reach with the uh, you know the coffee and the burnish tests and this and that. And they're like, dude, I might not make my mortgage payment three months from now, you know. And it's like, oh, you need to if they don't have the base of that pyramid covered, they're not going to start thinking about self-actualization, the future or anything farther than what's in front of them. So you have to meet them where they are and just say, if the most important thing for you is a stable relationship, a stable job, constant progress, and maybe you want to not hate it during the day, I can provide that. Now, my hopes is that I can inspire you to love this as much as me. I want that for people, but it would be very unempathetic to have your love of this craft as the standard, I think. Yeah, that's kind of a, um, I don't know, a, a truism of being an entrepreneur. Nobody's going to love it the way you do. Yeah. Nobody's going to yeah. feel the responsibility that you do. If I can get 80%, I'm pretty happy uh, because they, they don't get the benefit you do. There, there's there's an imbalance there. And we got, we got to kind of understand that. So... Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's, uh, sorry, sorry, but that is, that has literally been the hardest thing for me as a leader to come to terms with, which is just making peace with that and loving the people around me, even if they don't like, even if they don't have this deep seated passion or they think about other things during the day, loving, caring empathy is still like, yeah, it, it's a, it's, it's a hard fought lesson for me as a leader. Well, you mentioned it earlier, uh, this, this concept of servant leader. Um, yeah. what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I was only introduced to this a couple of years ago, uh, actually through the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, the uh, nonprofit that I'm the board chair of. We started trying to figure out, uh, me and another contractor, we actually put the organization through traction and uh, professionalized it the best we could with, a, with the help of a mountain of other people too. But when we started going through the core values and who we should be recruiting for board members, we're trying to oversimplify and try to just say, here's what we're looking for. And we wrote down all the best traits of the best members and board members. And they were all leaders and they all just served. And they all, they didn't come to the PCA and say, if you give me a free booth at the trade show, I'll gladly give my time to this thing. No, they all showed up and they said, I want to help. This is meaningful. There's not even really an immediate benefit to me, but this is what I do and I'm here to serve. And so we coined we didn't coin the term internally. We recognize the term servant leadership. And now it's like, Oh yeah, it makes complete sense. Ask a painter live my seven year social media show. I have this biological urge to share stuff with other people. And it makes me super happy when other people interact with me about it. Cause that's what I want from other people. And this whole organization is full of servant leadership and it gives me a ton of energy. That's super cool. I, I think more of that is needed in our world. Yeah. Um, the best example that walked our planet 2000 years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's what we preach. We preach this idea of, of caring enough to willingly serve you and willingly being the key word, like willingly serve your people. They'll know that. You but that empathy thing, um, we sometimes take that too far. Uh, this, oh, yeah. there's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. Like, yes, I put myself in shoes. I see what you're dealing with. I understand what you're dealing with. I have some experience with what you're dealing with, but we're not going to allow that to be an excuse. And so here's our action plan. This I won't let you fall down on those excuses. I won't let you play victim because I believe you're yeah. a victor. And we, we, tend to not have that ability to press that extra button there. Um, do, have you had any experience with that? Like 
maybe being too kind? Listen, man, you, it's like you are partially in my head right now. So (laughs) I have, I got this poor high school intern, man. Uh, My beloved high school that I graduated from is down the road and I got involved with their business program and stuff. And they sent me this intern and he's going to uh, college uh, in North Dakota here in a month or two. And, but he, they kind of gave him to me and said, do, do it, do what you want with him. And today, this morning, we worked on, um, his previous project was doing a bunch of automation with artificial intelligence for goal setting and review meetings where we track data and compile it. And that's all the fun, like, you know, crispy stuff that we do with the young fun people. But we completed that project. And now I'm talking about recruiting, retention and inspiration. And this morning, we had to deliver a stain sample to a client and we got in my car and I said, we're having a mobile meeting today. And all we talked about was my arc of over sympathetic versus over harsh with all my people. And I wanted feedback from an 18 year old. I said, here's examples of all these conversations I've had. Give me feedback of whether they were too empathetic, too harsh and things like that. And literally that's all we talked about this morning of that and then how people reacted to it and the outcome and slowly realizing that, you know, when you get an 18 year old's perspective about that, it's like, they do not enjoy the over empathetic either. That doesn't get best performance out of people, but they also don't like the old grumpy guy screaming at you. So it's always that interplay of, it's kind of like a no duh sort of thing, but it's great to hear it from somebody from the generation underneath you about that. So yeah, you're in my head, man. That's all, that's all we talk about. And this poor high school intern standing there. <laughs> I was like, working, I was like, and he, like, a, like an 18 year old kid was open for that conversation. Dude. Yes. And so I got a gem. I got an absolute gem. So on the outset, you'd be like, oh my God, this kid probably fell asleep into a, his face down in his cereal. He could not be more into this. Like he is, he is a, a high performer, just like me and my leadership team. And he, he brought examples of exact, I would, I would bring an employee example. He would bring an example from Boy Scouts or from uh, a, a sports association in school. And, and we, our examples mirrored each other to a T Exactly. So it's, uh, it, it's really fun to impart that later on in life stuff. It's also fun to get that experience from him, which is, again, we all think we're snowflakes. Magically, people in the Boy Scouts experiences, people in painting businesses, roofing businesses, it's universal. And it's amazing we don't actually get more intentional about it and think about it more. Oh, two of my favorite words, <laughs> intentional and thinking. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, you're part of the problem. You're out there, you got all this social media stuff and it's distracting to me. It gets my attention and and we all fall into the trap. I mean, (laughs) there's very few people in the world out there that don't go, Hey, there's Nick. Let me watch that reel that he's got going. That was pretty interesting, pretty humorous, pretty funny, all that good stuff. And then uh, the next one and the next one and an hour later, I've wasted an hour of my life that I could have actually been thinking and being intentional about what I do. Do you do anything to like keep that out of your world? Dude, listen. All right. We, you like me, uh, I'm known for asking painter live off the cup. There is no prep that goes into my show. And that's an open secret. Like people know that they, when I fire it up, we go, you mentioned the same thing, which is, you know, me, you did a minimal amount of research and we have an organic conversation. This is all I do now. I intentionally, I, so I'm a, I'm a utilitarian. I cannot just do one thing at a time, right? Most business owners are like that. Like I, I know I have to do fitness to keep myself of a certain like physical shape so that I can do this for a very long time. 
I also cannot just exercise and not do something else while I exercise. So I, I found a form of exercise where I used to do stuff like weightlifting and uh, running where it was too strenuous to have successively deep ideations, right? My brain would get distracted by the physical pain in my body. So I go for hour and 15 minute walks now every morning on a country road by myself and my dog. And I force myself, uh, usually I put one song on repeat uh, so it distract my brain long enough. And then I tell myself, here's the one thing I want to ideate on this morning and it's going to trail, but I'm going to go this. And if you give yourself even eight minutes of no distractions, you ha start having these successive thoughts that you never would have had built upon one another. If you were staring at Instagram or you were in a boardroom or in an office and it is the, it is something I look forward to every morning now, which is that successive thoughts. And so, and it's all, it's all personal stuff, right? It's all, well, not personal, but like personnel stuff. It's all, it all deals with the people, right? And uh, thinking about the different variables and parts of that soup and going through thought experiments with that and just trying to like first principle reasoning it and say, well, if I had to start over, what would I do? Or, you know, things like that, where you try to get rid of all your sort of uh, dispositions about it. So yeah. Long winded way of saying yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's another one of those truisms, slow down to go fast. Um, we, we tend to think, God, we got to get to the next thing, get to the next thing, get to the next thing and constantly moving forward. Like how do I yeah. grow the business, scale it and do more work and get more leads and make more sales. We're always like that mode. Has there been anything on your walks, this hour and 15 minute walk that you had a breakthrough on that you applied to what you do and it, it, move things ahead much faster than if you would have just kept bowling through it? I think, um, I think there's going to be an unsatisfying answer, but I, I take ultimate ownership of everything. I still, I, I tell myself that this is all my fault if something happens and I truly believe it is. I believe that we can affect it. Um, so most of the breakthroughs I have are, confirmation of the things that I may not be good at or may not want to do, but you have to do if you're a leader. And it's that the biggest breakthroughs I've had are not moonshots. They're more of like, literally I'll be on a walk and be like, does that's it? But it's one of those things. It's like, Oh, dumb, dumb. You know what it is. You just refuse to do it. It has everything to do with micro accountability, which is somebody in our position, you know, uh, I think about technician versus manager versus leader and technician does the work manager manages the technicians who do the work and then leaders inspire the managers who manage the people who do the work in, in my, like oversimplification. And for me, that, that micro see something, say something every single day for the rest of your life. And you're never going to solve it is the, is the thing never letting accountability go any longer than it has to saying it now, holding people to it that is the way to success. And, and that's through the few business books I've ever read, you will find a version of that listed as the main arbiter of success in any business. You know, that was really good. Wow. That was uh, like, I like hey, good mic drop. Let's go. Uh, that, that was pretty strong. Yeah. So I wish I would say, Oh my God, I had this idea for an app and it completely revolutionized my business. It's secret. Nobody knows about it. I'm making four times the profit as everybody else, but we know, Business success is not that. Apple, they grind. They grind. Apple just started. Apple's a bank. They they launched a sort of like deposit thing where you can save money. And they like 
weirdly enough, they didn't come up with the next new iPhone. They came up with the most stupid, boring thing on the planet, a bank. And honestly, I think they are by market cap, the largest bank in the world now. That is the mundane, unsexy, boring thing that they did that makes them world-class. They didn't, they didn't completely change the iPhone again. <laughs> There's not much more you can do to it. It doesn't seem like right? Unless you just embed one in your head or something. Hence, you get into banking. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you mentioned something that's a, a topic. I've been looking for somebody that might know something about um, this AI automation stuff. Is that something you see valuable for your business? Yeah, right now it's a novelty. Um, painters, painters love to make poems about painting on it. That seems to be a very popular thing right now, but that is not the highest realization of AI. Um, honestly, for <laughs> me, Hold on a I, I know, I know. Hold on. This is what we're doing. We're making poems on AI. I got you. Got to send so, me one of those. Listen, paint. Hey, listen. Um, hold on to your shorts. Um, house painters are not at the leading edge of technology and artificial intelligence. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna let's open and honest. I know, clutch your pearls. It's it's a crazy realization, but uh, no. So what happens is um, people use it for all the novelty stuff, but. I, I schedule time each week to mess around with it. And the two things that I'm working on now are some very utilitarian things, which are just Excel formulas, right? Like, it's like, it's beautiful now that you can say, I have 10 spreadsheets and randomly throughout, I need to find a certain number. Give me a formula that links all these spreadsheets. But then I also want to conditionally format if it's above this number green, below this number red, and I want it to appear in these two things. But when it's on this sheet, I want it to be orange and yellow. And it'll spit out the longest... <laughs> sort of like formula you've ever done 90% good, but that I never would even been possible. It's not like with enough YouTube videos, I could have done that. It gets me 90% of the way there. And then I troubleshoot. So there's the utilitarian part, but there's also the part where I like big uh, macro visionary things. So I'm intentionally using it to try to derive market data um, from our industry, which is you just, I love the Think of it as like one of my morning ideation walks, but with AI as my walking partner. And I basically say, how many house painters in the US? And then you start looking at the numbers, how many painting businesses in the US? What is the largest painting business in the US? If you have 20 employees, what segment of the industry are you? What does the average house painter take home? What is the average, uh, what is the lifespan of the average painting business? And you keep having these successive things. And listen, 40% of it is not accurate, right? We just know that. but through a series of logic, you can start discerning what is true. And there's certain things you run across so much that you're like, okay, that is a thing. Now I could, I could do census reporting myself and find out if it's actually true. But outside of that, we actually have really good stuff. And then you start drilling down into your own market. How many house painters in Minnesota? What is the market cap? How many gallons of paint are sold in the U S what about Minnesota? And this, so for me, that's like, I like, I like the stuff that I can use now, but especially for visionaries of these companies, to connect what I do in the cosmos of what's going on around me really gives me my place and lets me understand how unimportant or important it is what I'm doing as well. Well, um, I think what you're doing is pretty important. Uh, you're, <laughs> you are one of those guys from the book, Outlier. You're, you're constantly pushing the envelope. You're constantly thinking. You're constantly like, hey, is there a better way, a new way? Is there something that's in this pattern of all these pieces flowing around out there? Is there a pattern to it? Is there an order to it? Um, I, I think you and I are a lot more alike than I ever thought because yeah. that's my world. Like that's where I live. I see puzzle pieces and then I start seeing connection. Then it starts to make a pattern and it's just 
kind of how I'm wired and who I've been my entire life. And, and that's really how I've kind of been using AI is to take and put those puzzle pieces together. Um, I, I didn't know you could make poems. Like I haven't even thought about using it for this. Oh, I thought, I thought everybody did that at first because the, the first <laughs> time I heard about AI, I mean, all it was, was write me a poem about the painting industry and the voice of a pirate from the 1400s. And everybody's like, Oh, look at this AI. This is wonderful. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I get it. Like, that's really cool. But like, that's you're going to mess me up. You're, you're going to mess me up really bad because it's going to be like the reels on social media. Now I'm going to just go put silly <laughs> stuff in there and spend all day doing that. Um, no, I only got so much time on this planet. So I'm trying to make yeah. good use of it if I can. Likewise. <laughs> What are, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm, I'm painting houses um, and it's, it's me and maybe a buddy uh, with small business, but I, you know, I make enough, but I'm thinking about growing my business. What are, what are some of the first steps that uh, they should take or any other contractor? Yeah. Number one, know thyself, right? Which is, <clears throat> I know examples in this industry of people who have $20 million painting businesses with office staffs of 75, uh, multiple locations up and down the Eastern seaboard. And I also know somebody who works for three weeks, takes a week off, does adventures with their wife. They manage their own portfolio of real estate. They work alone. They only do one type of painting job. It's a complete lifestyle business. And both people are equally happy. So number one, just because Mr. 20 million does what he does, doesn't mean you should be doing that. Like, and anywhere in between. So number one, you got to figure out where you are. Number two, I actually, as a servant leader, I documented my entire path to professionalization over the course of Ask a Painter. And I condensed it down into a one page document with like six or seven steps. And it's all just, it, I, I was the one who made it accessible to my industry, but it is no BS stuff. It's get a proven product with a standard operating procedure, get a metric based bidding system, um, you know, get an employee handbook, get a job description. Here's how you hold people accountable. Here's how you recruit. And I basically just hyperlinked all my shows. I made one document with all those steps, made it available. And that's honestly what I would recommend. If anybody wants employees, I would hope you would do this. Most of the seven steps before you hire an employee. But I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody does. Right. Like we kind of just like, some money. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, listen, this plane's got two wings and a propeller. It seems to fly. So I'm a, I'm a super optimistic entrepreneur and I'm and, and I'm very impatient. So we're just going to go for it. I'm sure this will work out great. And that's how we all do it. Right. I started with zero of those steps and uh, had to had to plod through them. But what I like seeing in the industry now is there's so many people who already are doing half and just unlock the last half before they even start taking on employees, which is really cool. They're way, way more progressed than I ever was at that stage. Yeah. We, you know, we've had some epiphanies on this here just recently, to be honest with you, we've been coaching now for 10 years and uh, we did some study on it, like the, the percentages out there and 90% of contractors do less than a million dollars. So oh, yeah. if you do yeah. more than a million dollars, you're in the 10%. If you're mm -hmm. more than $10 million, you're in the 1%. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the breakdown. And we went, okay, so this 90%, that's a big market, right? Like that they need some help and they probably a large portion of them want to be bigger. And uh, we say, okay, we're going to put this program together, put it together, put it out there. And uh, we thought highly affordable. Uh, and we had, had targeted this group that's less than a million dollars. Mm-hmm. What we didn't realize, and the thing that like, I mean, we should have known, 
which I should have chat GPT'd at first. 90% of the contractors less than a million dollars are less than $250,000. Yeah. So they can't afford the, the package that we have put together. So we had, we, we misaligned something. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we need different things at different times. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you're a solopreneur and you're, you're thinking about scaling your business, you really need kind of the basics, just how to set up my business, how to set up my finance stuff, just so I got my numbers straight and I don't make any mistakes. I got to figure out how to uh, set some goals, get some leads, sell them at high value, and get referrals. Yeah. Do those things, do them well, you can probably get to a million dollars and maybe a little more. Yeah. But then coming in before you get too big, and then going, okay, standard repeatable process that I've learned through doing this. How do I hold people accountable? What kind of culture do I want to have? How do I add um, paid marketing to this budget marketing that I've been doing? And then mm-hmm. building from there. It was, it was awesome for us to go through that and awesome for us to go, oh, okay, cool. Now I get it. Like, let's concentrate on these five pillars yep. and help a bunch of people out. And uh, so that's what we're, we're going to make it super affordable. Like, it's like it, if you can't afford it, maybe it's time to maybe think about a different trade to be yeah. like, it's just that cheap. Um, but we would never have gotten to there if we didn't go through the process of trying to figure this out, seeing those puzzle yeah. pieces and starting with, oh, pattern, boom, there we go. Whenever you see a, a contractor make a mistake, what's the most common one? Well, number one is their fault. Um, mm. n- number, number, this is something I remind myself and other contractors. Uh, nobody beats me up harder than myself. So I have no problem turning that around on other contractors. As you can imagine, like yourself, you are a lighthouse and people come to you and say, Hey, I have this problem client, or I have this employee issue and things help me out. And slowly you realize there's no job description. There's no pay scale. There's no employee manual. They didn't get onboarded. They didn't get trained. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, listen, let's get through this together. Empathy, happiness, but in order to not be in this place again, you need to do that mundane, boring, unsexy stuff, the job descriptions, the pay scales, the things like that, that will make this never happen again in the future. So it is, it is a, when I see people making mistakes, it is, they have not done the things as the entrance fee to being a real business and that they have friction in their business is like, yeah, of course you're going to. You don't job cost. You, you you know, there's not a job description. If you if you tell one of your employees to do something and they refuse and you don't have a job description, hey, guess what? They win. You know, it's like <laughs> so funny thing about that. Um, Twenty years ago, um, I went through a, a trial. I would guess you'd call it. I had a bookkeeper steal five hundred eighty-five grand from me. Uh, Ooh, yeah, it was, <laughs> this is why I coach. So people don't do those mistakes. Right. Um, and, and I was obviously pissed, right. I was mad and mad at them, mad at everything. Uh, and, and I, I tend to be the person asked why, like, why do things happen? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I go down the road and they'll start looking at me. Right. So when that happened, I decided that day to put a mirror up in my office. Yeah. And uh, I've had people ask me about it. Why is there a mirror in your office? That's weird. What kind of vanity thing is that? I go, no, that's reality. That's what I'm looking at there. Because most problems that arise 
come from us as the leader, yep. not 100%. like you said, doing the dirty work. Doing and the they get compounded. Work. They get compounded when we don't do our job. And then you meet a bad operator, somebody who would literally do a criminal act then. So that makes that pop. It makes it more possible when, when we don't do the things we have to. Well, yeah, it almost puts you in a position of having to make a choice. And a lot of times we make the wrong choice because of the other choices we made before it. Like, how do we get out of this thing? Right. Yep. And so it doesn't necessarily make them a bad person, just put them in a bad situation and they made the wrong choice. Yep. Wow. Like I said, the longer we talk, the better it gets. Right. I love this. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's good. stuff. but I want to be, I want to be aware of your time. We're pushing an hour now. Um, and I, I appreciate it. Nick, would you come back in the future? Always, man. You don't have to ask. This is, uh, I have never taken this deep a dive into sort of the psych of what we do. And I would do this anytime. I feel bad we didn't talk about the signs of oil primer, but I assume maybe next show. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to watch Ask a Painter live. (laughs) You guys want to know all about that painting stuff, go go there. But you want to talk about leading a great business. Uh, This is is what we do. how do people get a hold of you? Like, hey, I want I want to talk to Nick. Do you, do you take calls and stuff like that? Or uh, so I have a I'm uh, I'm very passive aggressive and introverted, so I do not like eye contact and I do not like a lot of phone calls. But boy, do I love email. Uh, Nick at nickslavic.com. Anybody can get a hold of me anytime. And honestly, most people aren't going to write that down. If you go on any type of social media and type in Ask a Painter or Nick Slavic or even just a Google search, you're going to find. <laughs> excuse me, 23 different ways to contact me, DMs through my website, anything else. If you somehow raise your hand electronically like that, I'll, I'll jump on it. That's pretty awesome. It's hard, right? Like whenever you create, um, <laughs> by the way, but you are, you're an influencer, you have influence. And so people In are the most to- non-gross version of that word. Yes, I am. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like, ah, I hate that. Like, I, I know. I always I have a so the, the, How about thought leader? Let's go with thought leader. You're a thought leader. Which well, attracts even, I have so many thoughts about that too, because like I have uh, three LLCs. <laughs> one is my painting business. One is Ask a Painter Live. And one is a, uh, a real estate holdings. And every time I have to talk to like my accountant or my financial advisor, they're like, categorize that Ask a Painter business. I'm like, all right, listen, this is going to sound gross. It's technically content creation and influencing, but not like you think it is. I'm not doing TikTok dances. I'm not doing, I'm like talking, I'm talking to weirdos across the world about oil primer. So like, please don't lump me in with the kids dancing on TikTok, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, it, it killed my daughter. It killed her to call me an influencer. She's like, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, listen, sorry. I, I hate to even say this, but it is, I have four young kids and they're all in elementary or middle school. And literally some of the highest realizations of some of their friends is to be an influencer. And that I actually drive an income and have a business and I'm known nationwide for this means nothing to my kids. I thought they'd be like, oh my God, we know, we know a, 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 my friend's dad is an influencer. He's like got this social media show. It's like, it doesn't, it, unless you're doing a dance on TikTok. You talking about house painting is not moving the needle with the kids. <laughs> yeah, here's a fun. Have you ever had anybody come up and ask you to take a picture with them? At all these events, yes, and they are apologetic. <laughs> yeah, is it the most uncomfortable thing in the world? It is. I take it so. I, I had 
God, I am so sorry. I could, I could talk to you for a long time uh, about this stuff, particularly. I had somebody actually come up to me and give me a piece of feedback because I would always downplay and I would always de- deflect the comment like, oh, Nick, we love watching your videos. Like, ah, oh, those stupid things, you know, things like that. Somebody pulled me aside that I care for deeply. And they're like, you got to stop that, man. That is a bad leader. You're actually making those people feel bad. You need to take compliments better. So they said, tell them thanks and that you really appreciate it. And I do. And so I actually did that and it's better now. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing for me. I'm like, oh man, I'm just a human <laughs> being like you. We don't need to do pictures or anything like that. Yeah. And I got the same advice. Like, no, you're like, say thank you. Like that, You're making it okay. weird, man. It did kind of trip my daughter out one time. We were getting on a plane. And a guy recognized me. He's like, hey, well, you had a contractor coach. I'm like, yeah. And he's That's like, can awesome. I take a picture with you? My daughter's like, what the heck is going on over here? This is the weirdest thing. And uh, so, yeah, fun stuff. Hey, Nick, I, I like you said, I could talk to you. Uh, it seems like for hours, this would be amazing. I, I, like the, I like the aspect of you that you're mindful of who you are. You're also mindful of who you're going to become. Hope that to me is there's not many people like that. There's people I like to hang out with. Hope to hang out with you more in the future. Thanks for being on the show. Awesome guest, man. I'll accept that as a compliment and reply appropriately. Thank you for that. That does actually mean a lot to me. <laughs> good, good. You deserve it. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Help people get better. And uh, we'll connect in the future. Thanks, man. You too. And thanks for what you do. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> All right, everybody. That was Nick Slavic with Nick Slavic painting and restoration. What an awesome show. Um, I, 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 I have good shows. Like that's something that's normal. Like we get to have these fun conversations. They're not pre-planned or anything like that, but man, that was good. Um, there was so much in there. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with what I'm going to title this thing. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out before it goes out. But thanks for being on uh, here with us on this episode. Thanks for hanging out. Um, if you're looking to improve your business, uh, improve yourself, you want to have a better business, you want to get control of it, you want to grow it, go to our website, contractorcoachpro.com. Scroll down the page just a little bit. We don't even put it on the top. We want to make you look for it because we want to make sure that you're genuinely interested. Take the assessment. There's a button there that says take assessment. It's a contractor assessment. Assess your entire business, 12 aspects of it. And from that, we'll give you a free coaching call. We'll actually hop online with you, do a free coaching call, not a sales pitch. And we're going to coach you that day on the next two or three things that you could do to level up your business. If you like coaching and want to be one of our clients, great, more power to us. If not, hopefully we served you well that day. We've showed, we also believe in this servant leadership. We're here to make our industry better. We're here to make you better. We're here to make better human beings. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Contractor Radio. We'll see you on our next episode. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 